Galatians chapter 1. As you turn there, I want you to think about when you have found something that's the best of the best, and you're like, you know what? I've got this, and I will not settle for anything less, right? In my life, that's Mac computers. Um, really anything Mac, honestly. And uh, it's not an office arrangement. I haven't found that one yet. So I, I rearrange my office like crazy. And uh, it's just looking for that one spot that's the best of the best so that I won't have to settle for anything less. But there's one thing that a lot of people around here just continue to settle for that's certainly not the best of the best. And that is this restaurant called Lucille's. And I'm finally going on record in a sermon about this because it's, it's become widely known. But see, when you go someplace that has barbecue, like real barbecue, and you have that and you realize, okay, this is the best of the best. And then you come back here and somebody, you go to Lucille's and they're like, hey, have some barbecue. You just look at it and you go, you're not the same. You're not the same. Lucille's may be a diner, but it's not a barbecue restaurant. Okay, it's, it's, it's pretending to be barbecue. It's a different barbecue, like Paul's going to talk about different gospels, right? Like there's one true gospel and nothing else. And, and really there is one standard for good barbecue and everything else just falls short. And I still have yet to find anything that measures up here in this state. And Lucille certainly doesn't. But Paul's talking to a group of people who had heard the best of the best in the gospel, right? Because Jesus really, truly, absolutely, 100% is better than anything else. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can repent from your sins, put your faith in Jesus, that he died in your place, and that he rose three days later from the dead. And, and, and if you put your faith in that, that God looks at you now and says, you are forgiven, you are innocent, you are not guilty, you are my son, you are my daughter, and now you will spend eternity with me. That message is better than any other message this world will offer you. It's better than any other message a religion will offer you. It's better than any other message a philosophy will offer you. It's better than any other message any other worldview will put forward and tell you this is worth living your life for. This is worth giving everything for. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best of the best. And Paul's writing, like I told you all last week, to a group of Christians who were being told that, no, there's, there's other options. And in fact, you know what? The gospel is only part of the equation. Faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is only part of the equation, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z. And these Christians, some of them there in Galatia, in these regions, in these churches there, they're being tempted to abandon the gospel in favor of these different gospels that Paul's going to talk about even in our text that we're going to look at tonight. But what Paul wanted to remind them and what we're going to see tonight and be reminded of as well is that the, the gospel is the best of the best. And to try to turn to anything else really ultimately, it doesn't make sense at all. Not only doesn't it work, but why in the world would you make that decision? Why would you look at the, 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 the top option? Why would you look at the, the thing that works, that's effective, that's the only thing that's effective and go, yeah, that's nice, but I, I want something else or I want something more. That's what was happening, and that's what leads Paul to write this, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ 
in our turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul begins there and he says, look, I'm astonished. That's a word that means I'm shocked. It's bordering on disgust or it's bordering on, man, I am appalled that you're turning to a different gospel. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The reason why Paul is shocked, the reason why Paul is appalled, the reason why Paul is so even borderline disgusted here is because he's like, why in the world would you jump ship from the grace of Christ? Why would you drift from the grace of Christ? Why would you want anything other than the grace of Christ? So quickly deserting, it's the same concept. You remember back in Exodus when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, right? And while he's up there, he left Aaron in charge down below at the bottom of the mountain. And Aaron and the Israelites down below at the bottom of the mountain, they all of a sudden said, man, Moses has been up there for a long time. Maybe we should do something about this. And what did they do? They created a golden calf. You guys remember that? And and Moses comes down the mountain. He's like, Aaron, what happened? And Aaron's like, dude, I don't know. They just brought me all their golden jewelry and I threw it in the fire and I'll pop this calf. But here's what it says in the text. It says this, God is speaking to Moses. He's telling them to go back down the mountain. He says, Israel, the Israelites, they have turned aside quickly. It's the same concept there. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And we hear that and we read that. And we, every time that happens, when we're getting through the DBR, I'm like, dude, Aaron, don't do it, man. Don't do it, Aaron, right? And you're talking to the Israelites going, what are you thinking? This is, a, this is a, a, a fancy statue that you find in like your grandma's house tucked in the corner. Like this thing did not lead you out of Egypt. How can you be so dense? How can you turn from the living God, the God who just a, a few chapters earlier, Exodus chapter 19, you can read it sometime. When he comes down to give the, the 10 commandments originally, do you remember what happened to the mountain there? Moses had to make sure that the people weren't near the mountain. Why? Because the mountain started to shake and it started to smoke and it started to have fire upon it. And then God spoke in thunder out of that. Do you guys remember that? And the Israelites encounter that experience with God and now they're wanting a golden calf instead. You've turned aside. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's like, what happened? He's going, I'm, I'm amazed, I'm astonished that, look, we were there on this missionary journey. We preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys accepted and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now what is going on? You're turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going after a, a different gospel. You're going away from the, the gospel of the one who called you in the grace of Christ. The one who called you in the grace of Christ, the Father, the Son, both of them are active in that. The Spirit is active in that. But you've been called into the grace of Christ. I want us to think about that concept. The grace of Christ. 
So often we think about grace and we go to Ephesians what? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by what? Grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, lest anyone should boast. And we're like, okay, grace is there, and it's confined. It's compartmentalized. It's there as part of the gospel, and it's there as part of the, what, what saves me, and now I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm moved past it. But that misses the boat completely. Grace does so much more than just save you. Is it active in your salvation? Absolutely. Is it foundational to your salvation? Absolutely. Is it essential to your salvation? Yes, 100%. But after we're saved, we don't leave grace behind. Romans 3, 23 through 24, talks about what grace does in saving us. Romans 3, 23, you guys know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, and are justified by his, here's the word, grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 17. For if because of one man's trespass, this is talking about Adam, one man's sin, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of, here's the word, grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So again, grace is essential in that salvation process there. But that's not all grace does. Let's talk about a few other things that grace does. Grace frees us from sin. Paul says this in, in Romans 6, 7. He says, you have been set free from sin. You say, well, man, I, I still sin. Yeah, here's the way that, that it may be helpful to think about this. At the moment of salvation, you have been set free from the power of sin. Okay, the power of sin. You are now still experiencing the, the presence of sin in your life, but you've been set free from the power of sin you ultimately will be set free from the presence of sin when you are with Christ. So the moment of salvation, you are set free from the, the let me rephrase it, the, the penalty of sin at the moment of salvation. The wages of sin is what? Death. Well, you are freed from sin's reign over you, death's reign over you when you are saved. Now you are experiencing a progressive freeing from the presence of sin, the, the power of sin in your life. And ultimately, when you are with Christ, sin will be no more. But grace is essential in that. Grace is essential in right now you growing and being free from the power of sin in your life and you overcoming sin. Grace is essential in that. But what else does grace do? Grace redeems us. Grace redeems us. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him, in the Father, in Jesus, sorry, not the Father, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So grace purchases you. It redeems you. It, it brings you back to the Lord for his purposes. What does all, grace do as well? Grace provides an inheritance for us. An inheritance for us. Acts 20, 32. Acts 20, verse 32 says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance along with those who are sanctified. So grace has secured for you an inheritance that awaits for you. Grace also provides a way for us to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Paul says in Romans 8.15 that we have not received a spirit of fear, but we have received a spirit of what? Adoptions by, adoption by which we can call out Abba, Father, that, that familial relationship we now have with God the Father. That's by grace. Grace also opens the door for us to pray. To pray. Hebrews 4.16 talks about this. In Hebrews 4.16 the author there says this. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of, what's the next word? 
grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So your access to the Father is access that is purchased, that is there because of grace. Grace also equips us to serve the church. We talked about that earlier. There's ways that you can be serving in the bridge. Those that were up here leading worship are using gifts that God has given them by his grace to serve the church. And so grace equips us to serve the church. And then last but not least, certainly not least, grace secures for you that Revelation 21 future. That future where God is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes, where death is going to be no more. Mourning, sadness, sickness is going to be no more. In Revelation 21, why? Because of grace. See, grace is, not to sound trite, but grace truly is, it's amazing. I mean, it really, really, really is. When we think about it, and we relegate it, and we confine it to just, well, yeah, by grace I was saved. Now, what's next? And we want to talk about these other doctrines and sanctification. And we want to talk about, you know, our prayer life. And we want to talk about our DBR. And we want to talk about this and that and the other thing. But we have to understand that grace is a part of all of that. That grace begins our relationship with Christ. It inaugurates our relationship with Christ. Grace sustains our relationship with Christ right now. And grace will ultimately bring us through to the the finality of that earthly relationship with Christ when we will eventually be with the Father and the Son, and the Spirit in heaven for all of eternity. And there were some that Paul was writing to who were looking at grace and going, yeah, that's nice and everything, but it's not enough. And we need to make sure that we don't do that. Point number one tonight is this. Realize all that you have in the grace of Christ. Realize all that you have in the grace of Christ. You guys heard of the jeweler Tiffany & Co.? Tiffany's Tiffany. Yeah, yeah, they make fancy, pretty shiny things. Their most expensive necklace that they make or have made is called the Lucida Star Necklace. Any of you guys ever heard of it? No. You know the actress Anne Hathaway? I think she was in like Princess Diaries or something. I don't know. I've got a little girl at home. That's the only reason I know that. Anyways, it was... Created, and Anne Hathaway wore it in the, at the 2011 Academy Awards. Do you know how much that necklace cost? $10 million. $10 million. It's 94 carats of diamonds set in platinum. That's insane, right? It's crazy. Now imagine, if you could, ladies, imagine if your dad or maybe your boyfriend got that for you because they're just flush with cash, right? And you get this Lucida Star necklace, and it's like autographed by Anne Hathaway or something like that. And you think, man, this is so amazing. And initially, you're so infatuated with it. And you're like, this is the, the greatest gift I've ever received. And then after like a week or so, you're like, well, you know, I'm going to put it in the attic for safekeeping. So you open up the attic, and you throw it up in the attic. And, and then you've got a, a big date coming up, and you're like, man, I, I need to look nice for this date. And you think, well... That necklace was pretty sweet when I first got it, but I was just out at Costco the other day and I bought this other necklace. It's cubic zirconia. It's pretty sweet too. I think I'm going to wear that one instead. I, I, I like that one better. It, it, I need more than just that, that $10 million necklace that's in my attic. You guys get what I'm driving at here, don't you? See, we, we treat grace that way sometimes. The cost of grace blows the Lucita Star necklace out of the water The cost of the grace that you and I have received was the the death of Jesus Christ, of the Son of God, the sinless Lamb. And that grace was purchased for us, and that grace was given to us. 
that we were called into that grace, into the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and because of the cost of that, and because of what that grace means for us, all those things that we just talked about, there's nothing in this world more valuable than that grace. And yet we kind of, we take that grace and we put it in our spiritual attic and we're like, well, that was nice when I needed it for salvation. But now, you know what, I've got this from here. And we try to be good enough and we try to be holy enough and we try to overcome sin just by our own willpower and it's going to be different this time and I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the same thing anymore and yeah, I know I need to read my Bible more and so it's just, I'm going to get an app and that app is going to help me. I'm going to set reminders on my phone to do my Bible reading. I've got an accountability partner so I'm not, I'm, dude, I'm like the Michael Phelps of holiness right now. I'm just going to be setting records left and right and we're leaving grace behind and we fail every time and why do we fail every time? Because we're trying to do it by ourselves. And we're looking at all that Christ has given us, all that God has given us in Christ, and we're like, that's sweet. I'm going to put it up in my attic and, and settle for something that's less. That's what was going on with this church. And Paul was going, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm amazed at what you're, what you're doing. Do you not realize what you have in the grace of Christ? It's like that Christmas present that you get. You know, that, that one that you got last year that you were super stoked about for like two weeks, and now you don't even know where it is, do you? That's how we treat grace. Grace does so much more than save us. Y'all, even right now, God is by his grace adding layers to your testimony. Here's what I mean that, by that. As you continue to get older, your testimony is not just going to be that, that one day where Jesus saved you. For a lot of you in this room, because this is Compass Bible Church, it's going to go beyond revival, and I know that's shocking. But your testimony is going to begin to be, look, here's where God saved me. And then let me tell you how God was good to me during this time. And let me tell you how he's been good to me during this time and this time and this time. And his grace has just been amazing in my life. And here's this example of God's grace and this example of God's grace and this example of God's grace. See, grace is so much more than just when you got saved. And so God, through his grace, is going to continue to add layers to your testimony. And we see this in the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 7 through 14. Paul has just listed all these impressive things. And, and to a Jewish audience, man, the stuff that Paul lists was super impressive. But Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because Jesus is worth more. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, as dung, he says, in order that I may gain Christ. I want Christ. Take everything else. Give me Jesus, he's saying. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. In other words, Paul was saying, look, I was a Pharisee. Right before this, Paul literally said, as to the law, I was blameless. And now he's saying, I don't have a righteousness of my own. I can't do it on my own. If I'm trying to white knuckle this thing called Christianity, if I'm trying to pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps, I am dead because I can't do it. He's saying, look, I need Jesus. Take everything else. Give me Jesus. I want to be found in him, verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own because I don't have any, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that he gives us through grace, that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Why? Because Paul's thinking, I want to be with him. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but here he says, I press on to make it my own. Own. Because why? Because Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and he's not talking about sin. He's talking about the good things at this point in time. He's saying, look, forgetting everything good that I've done in my life, I'm going to put that behind me because my confidence isn't there. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I'm going to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see how this is a lifelong pursuit of, of Christ? In this lifelong pursuit of Christ, every single step you take has to be fueled by grace. It has to be. You can't do it. I can't do it. We need God's grace. Realize what we have in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that we can get what Paul's saying here when he's like, dude, I'm, what are you doing, Galatians? I'm astonished. I'm amazed that you are drifting from the gr- grace of Jesus Christ that you've been called to. Snap out of it. Realize, remember, you're going after this different gospel. And he says, not that there is a different gospel, but you want this extra added to the gospel. And Paul's saying, stop. Back in the text, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, abandoning. It's a a word that is like the word traitor. Right? You are shifting your allegiance away from God who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, verse 7. Not that there is one. In other words, there's just one gospel. And so Paul's like, I'm, I'm using the word gospel here, but I'm using it loosely. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as I've said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There are some who trouble you. This is this group, the Judaizers, that were coming in. I mentioned them last week, too. They were coming in going, yeah, 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 yeah. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in, in Jesus alone. Yeah, 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 I get that. That's cute. Paul came through. He told you that. But I forget, did he tell you about what else you have to do? The law of Moses? Did he tell you about the Abrahamic covenant? Because the Abrahamic covenant is, is important. If you guys want to really truly be in with God, you've got to be sons of Abraham. And the Old Testament says, if you want to be sons of Abraham, you need to follow the law. And you also, by the way, men, you guys need to be circumcised. So we're, we're here to tell you, you know what, the, the, this whole salvation by grace alone through faith alone, it's just not enough. You need Jesus plus. And that's why Paul is saying, look, they're troubling you. They're putting a burden on you that you don't need to bear, that God doesn't want you to bear. In Acts 15, which we just read recently in our daily Bible reading, we see what's going on, and it's actually around this time that Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. Acts 15, the, the, all this is brand new, right? I mean, this is, we look at, at salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, we're like, yeah, solas and sola scriptura and everything else and the Reformation, yeah, but this, you got to remember, this is early on in the church. So some of this is, some of the people were still trying to figure out what's going on. What, what are we supposed to do? Paul, we've got this thing called the Torah, you know, you know it because you were a, a, a Pharisee. And that was pretty important to us. And now what are we supposed to do with the Old Testament law? Because that played a major role in our lives now, Paul. And now Jesus is here. And yeah, he's the fulfillment. He's the Messiah. But what is our obligation to the law? So Acts 15, all the, the bigwigs in the church at the time kind of got together at, uh, at this Jerusalem council. And they, they tried to figure out, okay, what are we, we going to do? And what prompted this, listen to Acts 15, 1 through 2. 
Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Does that sound familiar? It's what the Galatians were hearing too. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. In other words, Paul's bowing up here. He's going toe-to-toe with these guys going, dude, let's, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Right now, let's do this. Gloves are off. Let's do this. After no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders and ask the question. And then verse 24, since we heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you, there's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians, troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So these people were coming in, adding things to the gospel, saying, hey, you have to, you have to do. It's Jesus plus. Galatians 2.16, we'll get there. Paul writes this in Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Is that plain enough for us? Yeah. You cannot be justified by works of the law. Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. You think Paul was majoring on this point? Romans 11.6. If it's by grace, then it's no longer on the basis of works. Why was Paul so passionate about this? Because look what he says. He says this. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he follows it up right away. As I've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You know what that word accursed means? Let him be damned. Let them go to hell, is what Paul's saying there. Anathema is the word in the Greek. Let them be cut off. If somebody comes into you and perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, let them go to hell because of what's at stake with the gospel. And he repeats this. The other day, I was, I was leaving home for a, a little bit of time, and Amanda wasn't home yet from somewhere, and we started to let our oldest watch his siblings and he was sitting there with his friend on the couch, and they were playing Minecraft. And I was on my way out the door, and I, I, I turned around and I said, Hey, Josh, you, you need to watch your, your brothers and your sister until mom gets home. She'll be home soon, but you need to watch them. And he's like, Yeah, 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 okay. Right? And he's just, I'm like, He didn't hear me. So I'm walking out the door. I'm like, Yeah, you know, no, no, I need to go back there. So I stopped. I came back inside. I walked back up to him, and I, I, I said, Joshua, yeah, dad. Joshua, yeah, yeah, dad. So I said, pause the game. So he paused the game. He turns and looks at me. He's like, you need to watch your brothers and your sister until mom gets home. Otherwise, things are not going to go well for you. Okay, I understand. Okay, now you can go back to your game. But I had to repeat myself. Why did I repeat myself to him? So that he understood. So that he got the point, right? So Paul repeats this point. Look, you mess with the gospel. You're messing with eternity here. There are severe consequences. Remember who Paul used to be. Paul used to be Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a Pharisee who was relying on the law. Saul was one of the ones who was an expert at cleaning the outside of the cup. And I think because he was so fixated on that is why he's so passionate about making sure that people know that's not how you can have peace with Christ. That's not where peace with God comes from. And so he doesn't want anyone to tamper with the gospel at all. See, salvation is either by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or there's no salvation at all. Either by grace, through faith, in Christ, or there's no salvation at all. 
Second point tonight is this. Guard yourself from buying into counterfeit gospels. Guard yourself from buying into counterfeit gospels. You guys may have heard this illustration, and I've heard it debated, but it works. It fits, so just go with it, whatever. And it's this whole concept. The, the Secret Service agents, did you know they're the ones that counter, handle counterfeit, by the way? That it's the Secret Service that deals with counterfeit operations? It's, it's more than just diving in front of a bullet for the president? But the way that they train their agents is not by having them study a bunch of counterfeit bills, but, having them, but by having them study what? The real deal, the genuine article. They want them to know the, the ink. They want them to know the feel. They want them to know the colors. They want them to know the watermark. They want them to know the grain of the, the paper. They want them to know the weight of the paper. They want them to know the font. They want them to know the numbers. They want them to know everything about the genuine article. So much so that when they see a fraud, it immediately jumps off the page to them. And so y'all, as you're thinking about, okay, how do I guard myself from buying into counterfeit gospels? The answer I want to suggest to you is the same. Know the real deal through and through. Know the genuine thing. Know the gospel backwards and forwards. And so that as soon as something stands out and you're like, wait a minute, that's not the biblical gospel. It becomes so abundantly clear to you that you can identify it from a mile away and go, I don't want anything to do with that. Anything to do with that at all. What is the gospel? We've got our umbrella analogy here that you can think about and think through and work with in our partner's manual, which is a great way to picture it. Another way to think about it is just a a fourfold diagram here. You've got, first, you've got God. Then you've got man. Then you've got Christ. Then you've got response. God, man, Christ, response. That God is a holy, perfect God who has created the world, right? that he is the the God of all creation, that he is the one that is all-powerful, that he set a standard of perfection. And you've got man, that he created man and said to man, you must be perfect as I am perfect. Well, guess what happened? Man didn't follow up and hold up his end of the bargain. A man sinned. Sin entered the world, right? Man fell. Man was at odds with God. And all of a sudden, you needed something to repair that relationship. That's where we enter into the, the third factor, which is Christ. That even though we couldn't close the gap between us and God, God sent Jesus, he sent the son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have peace with God. And then finally, you've got the response in the gospel, which is faith and repentance, right? So we need to know those things backwards and forwards so that anytime somebody adds something to it or takes something away from it, we've got our flags out and we're ready to throw them on the play going, wait a minute, that is not the gospel. I don't want anything to do with that at all. There's two main different gospels out there that the world will peddle and that we're most often tempted to fall prey to. And if you remember a while back, those of you guys who have been here through the summer with us prior to this, uh, and in the, the spring, I gave that illustration of, of the road and there's the two ditches on either side of the road. Well, this is back to that illustration again because the, the different gospels are, are those two ditches. And the first ditch is, is this ditch of self-righteousness, this ditch of, of works. And so this is Jesus plus works. And this is, is saying, you know what? Yeah, you, you need to be saved. But then, you know what? In order to really be saved, you can, you've got to contribute to that. You need to do. You need to obey. You need to follow. You need to memorize. You need to, to, to do, 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 do. And the, the, the reason why this is so tempting 
is because it gives you a false sense of security in your relationship with God. Because it puts security in your hands. You want to know that you're saved? Well, you need to go do all these things. And then you can look at the fruit and be like, dude, I'm saved. Look, I've got all this fruit on, in my life. But the problem is, if that fruit is not connected to the root, which the root is Jesus Christ, right? That fruit is just like rotten fruit that you picked up off the ground, duct taped to a dead branch, and sewed it to a living tree, right? I mean, that, it's, it's not going to fool anybody. And so th- this is one of the, the ditches that we can drift into, this different co- gospel of it's Jesus plus works. But the other ditch that's equally as dangerous, that's also out there, is that, you know what, it's just about our our words. So you've got works on this ditch, you've got words on this ditch. That is just about you saying that you believe in Jesus and that Jesus is your Savior, and that's enough. You don't need to worry about him as your Lord. You don't need to worry about, you know, repentance. You don't need to worry about any of that stuff. That just say that Jesus is your Savior and that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and then it doesn't matter how you live your life after that. And that's, that's appealing to us. Why? Because now I don't have to change my life. And changing my life doesn't save me, right? Because that's works. But if I'm saved by Jesus, there's going to be a transformation that takes place in my life. And this is the gospel that says you can continue in your sin. You can continue in your lifestyle. You can compromise to whatever the world wants you to compromise to and have Jesus. Neither of them work. The specific different gospel Paul was confronting was this works gospel. That is Jesus plus And the way to stay away from those things, the way to protect against those things, again, is to focus daily on the real deal. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Daily reminding ourselves of that. And again, Paul could not be more clear of what's at stake. Let them be accursed. Let them be damned. Let them go to hell. Galatians 1.10. By the way, Paul doesn't say that lightly. I don't want you to think that this is like Paul being some monomaniacal you know, holier than thou Bible thumper, because remember in Romans chapter nine, what Paul says at the beginning there about his Jewish brethren, he says, man, if, if I could guarantee that every single one of my Jewish brethren would be saved, I would be accursed. Same concept. I would trade my salvation, Paul says. I would go to hell if all my Jewish brothers could be saved. So this is not a guy who's just cold hearted and doesn't care about lost people. He cares absolutely about lost people, and that's why he doesn't want any false gospels out there. Look at verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what's amusing is it seems that these opponents of Paul were accusing him of soft-pedaling the gospel. Paul, soft-pedaling the gospel, making it too easy for people. That Paul was intentionally leaving out the law so that he wouldn't offend people and he could gain more followers. That sounds like Paul, doesn't it? No. Remember last week to Paul's opening of his letter, Galatians 1, just look up in the text. Paul, an apostle, a messenger from Jesus, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Paul's saying, look, you think I'm trying to please man with my message? What you're accusing me of essentially is being an unbeliever because he says, if I were trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You're accusing me of of being an unbeliever and if I were more concerned with with pleasing man than pleasing God, I I wouldn't have any part in Christ is what he's saying. Grab your Bibles, 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 30. 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 30. See if this sounds like a guy who's trying to please man. 
Paul says this. He says, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that, but whatever anyone else dares to boast, here's, here we go. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, he's saying, but I dare to boast of that. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Paul's being sarcastic here, by the way. He's not trying to be prideful and arrogant. He's battling against that, actually. Are they servants of Christ? I'm, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater... Now listen to this and see if this sounds like a guy who's living a life that's pleasing man. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Sometimes that killed a man after one time. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And oh, by the way, apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Does that sound like a guy who's concerned with pleasing man? He's really bad at it if it is. He's really bad at it if it is, right? Paul's was not concerned about pleasing man. In fact, we read it earlier, but the, the first part of Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 11 here, he says, look, we're the circumcision who worship the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. But he says this, though, look, I have reason. If anyone else does, I have reason to put confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the people of Israel. Oh, by the way, a tribe of Benjamin. King Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. Not a great reputation, but still, he was the first king of Israel. Pretty good pedigree there. Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, so Paul's going, here's my resume. Again, if anyone can boast, I can boast. Paul lays it out for us. If Paul cared about men, he would have stayed on track there. But what does the next verse say? But whatever gain I had, I counted as what? Loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul's not soft-pedaling anything. He's not concerned about earthly fame. He's not concerned about making a name for himself, but rather a name for Christ. And he was going to preach the gospel no matter what. Why? Because that's what would please God. And it's the most important thing, right? Final point tonight is this. Stay faithful to the gospel no matter the pressure to compromise. Stay faithful to the gospel no matter the pressure to compromise. Guys, I wish it was harder to come up with an illustration for this point, but it's not. The pressure to compromise is all around us in the world, and it's only going to ratchet up. It's only going to get harder. The pressure of inclusivity. Hey, you know what? Why, does, why do you have to be so rigid with the lines that you draw on morality and other things like that? Why can't you soften up and include more people? Tolerance. Why can't you be more tolerant of other religions? Why can't you be more tolerant of, of other lifestyles? I mean, the, the pressure to compromise, to bend the gospel, to bend God's word is everywhere. You guys are going to face it in waves. The world wants to come into the church and sprinkle a little bit of this and a little bit of that onto our gospel message in order to appease the masses. But God has called us to please, not the masses, but to please him. I make it my aim not to please man, but to please Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says it explicitly there. 
Paul says, so whether we at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. Make it our aim to please Jesus. The only seasoning the gospel needs is a godly life to support it, to back it up. By the way, the argument of Paul's opponents is self-defeating, right? If they're going to come in and accuse him of soft-pedaling the gospel and trying to please man, then he would what? Be like, oh, dude, you are so right. I'm so sorry about that. Man, what, what should I do? How can I fix this, right? If Paul was concerned about pleasing man, don't you think he would have jumped in and been like, whoa, people are opposing me? That's not okay. What, what do I need to do to stop that? He wouldn't have written a letter going, dude, what are you doing? I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I'm appalled that you're drifting towards these other gospels. He held fast and he wouldn't budge. Why? Because Paul was 100%, beyond a shadow of a doubt, convinced that the gospel was the best of the best. Because Jesus is the best of the best. And Paul knew that to compromise on the gospel was to drift from Jesus. And so Paul was not going to have it. He was saying, you've had the best. Why settle for less? Why? Why would you ever settle for less when you realize everything that you have in the grace of Christ? Why would you drift into these counterfeit gospels? Why would you give in to, to the pressure to please men? Consider Christ, cling to Christ. He truly is the best of the best. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you for our standing in Jesus, that our standing is not based on our own works, that our standing is not based on our merit, that our standing is not uh, here today and gone tomorrow based on a track record of whether or not we've been obedient enough, we've listened enough, we've prayed enough, we've done enough. Lord, we thank you that our standing before you, Father, is based on, on Christ's finished work for us, that he has done enough, that he is enough. Father, I pray that you'd guard us from the, the two ditches that we might drift into, the ditches of works or the ditches of words, and that you would keep us on the path of faith in Jesus, that you would keep us anchored to Christ, that you would transform our lives, Lord, not because we're trying to please you by earning salvation, but because we're trying to please you because we love you and we love Jesus for everything that he's done for us. So guard us, Father, from drifting. Guard us from being those that Paul would say, I'm astonished that you're drifting from Jesus. Help us to see that Jesus is the best of the best and that there's nothing else that we should pursue.